Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome to Truth Pod. I'm so glad that you could join me in the study of Jonah. I hope everything is well with you and your family. I hope you find yourself drawing closer to the Lord. Oh, how blessed we are to be living in a country where we are free to live for Jesus without fear of the government or anyone else for that matter. Are you taking advantage of the liberty that has been given to us? Pray. Read your Bible. Go to church. Tell others about Jesus. Love your neighbor. Privileges a lot of countries don't have. And I'm going to just say this right now. Um, you you might be saying it or thinking, uh, I don't want to go to church because of COVID. Well, then, if you don't go anywhere else, then that's well and fine. You know what I mean? But if you're going to other places and you spend time at other places with groups of other people, you need to be in church. That's just, that's free. That don't cost you anything, okay? That I've just said that. All right. Uh, Let's take a few seconds and thank God for these blessings. If you can, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for this great nation we're living in, Lord God, and that we have the the freedom, the privileges of reading your word. Father, I can take your Bible out anytime, your word out anytime, and read it freely, openly. I can read it in public. I can go to the mall and read your word. I can go just about anywhere and read your word. Thank you for that freedom. Thank you that I can pray without fear that someone's going to break the door down and and punish me for doing so. Thank you that I can go to church. I can worship in the house of God. Thank you that I can uh, fellowship with other believers. That is so wonderful. And thank you that I can be in person listening to the word of God being preached. Thank you, Father. Thank you that I can tell other people about Jesus that I have the freedom to tell other people about Jesus. There's others in other in other countries, Lord, that don't have that freedom. Thank you that we have that freedom here. Help us to take advantages of these blessings, these privileges that have been given to us, Father. May your great name be glorified. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. Well, here we are, starting the final chapter of the book of Jonah. Speaking of Jonah, he's probably riding sky high right now after preaching to the Ninevites and seeing a whole nation turn to God in repentance. That is every evangelist's dream to see people come to Christ. When you preach, you want to have results. It's nice when someone comes up to you after you've preached your heart out and and said everything the Lord told you to say, and they said to you, good sermon, or I liked what you said in your message. But these compliments cannot compare to people responding to the altar call. Um, I've preached a few sermons, you know, in my time. I've preached in in church, in a few different churches. I've been in Iron uh, Mountain, Michigan, and I've preached there. I've preached in Kentucky, uh, I've preached in Prairie du Chien, uh, you know, and in Wausau and Antigo, and I've preached, you know, in, in these areas, and a few times locally I've preached, you know, 
And every time I give an altar call, I've never had much of a good response. Um, you know, and I, I've always found that discouraging. Now, I've had people after the message, you know, when I'm standing, shaking their hand, they're leaving, they'd say, good message, or, uh, you know, I liked what you said, or uh, that was a blessing, uh, you do such a good job, all that stuff. But I wanted to see people come to Jesus. I wanted to see people come to the altar. Oh, well, that's life, right? All right. It should burn in every evangelist heart to see the lost come to Jesus. Otherwise, I think they'd be doing something else, right? They're in the wrong profession. We are not in this to make people feel good. That happens sometimes, and that's okay. But that's not our purpose. We cannot save anyone, but we point to the one who can, okay? I can't make people come to the altar. I can't make people give their hearts and lives to Jesus, but I can keep pointing them to Jesus, and I can keep talking about Jesus, and you know what? <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to. So, uh, yeah, enjoy it, because it's going to continue. All right. Really, this is not just for the pastor or the evangelist, but every child of God should want to tell others about the one who changed their lives. So how is Jonah feeling about God changing his mind about destroying Nineveh? You would think Jonah would be happy about that, right? You would think he would be happy, he'd be excited. Well, we have the answer in verse 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Whoa, put on the brakes, put on the brakes. What seemed very wrong? God changing his mind. God changing his mind. <laughs> um <laughs> I thought Jonah would be riding sky high after seeing all the people repent. After all, consider Noah. You know Noah, back in, you know, he built that ark, you know, thing, put all those animals, God brought all those animals on it, and, you know, the whole world was destroyed except for him and his family and the animals. Noah preached 120 years before the flood, and not one soul repented. Did you know that? I heard somebody mention that. That's not original of me. I heard somebody mention that, and I thought, whoa, that is so true. And then here Jonah is preaching, and a whole city repents, and God changing his mind. Wow. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Hmm. It seemed evil to Jonah that God would change his mind and not bring about the destruction he prophesied would happen. Could you imagine uh, what it would have been like if the Apostle Peter, James, and John, um, all the other apostles had all got together and prayed, Oh Lord, we pray that you would kill Saul of Tarsus. Could you imagine that? Now they didn't that we know of. Um, you know, uh, They probably didn't like him. Uh, I, you know, this guy who's persecuting the church and threatening to take their lives. Uh, but could you imagine uh, them getting together and praying? This? No, it's unthinkable. Because 
you know, they're supposed to have the heart of Christ. One time Jesus was with his disciples. I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself. If I am, you may hear me repeat this. Uh, but uh, one time Jesus was with his uh, disciples and uh, the, I think it was Samaritans or somebody, uh, they didn't respond to Jesus the way the disciples thought they should. So they said to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire out of heaven like Elijah did? Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, I didn't come to destroy people. I come to save people. So Jonah, um, Jonah here is not a happy camper. Um, he's upset that God had changed his mind. And before we uh, gang up on Jonah and start criticizing him, let's think about what we would feel like if someone we hated started attending our church. Maybe they're a pedophile or a known rapist. We would think, what right do they have being here? God should strike them dead. You know, we sometimes are just as guilty. We get our nose up in the air and we think our self-righteousness, ah, just look at me, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a good Christian and look at this person there. They're a pedophile. Hey, do you hear what they have done? Do you hear what that person has done? Can you see how that person, that guy is wearing a dress? I mean, I'd be afraid, really, in some churches, that if a guy came walking into the church in a dress, that some people would fall out of pews and die. Die of a heart attack. Why? Because they're shocked. Instead of having compassion and love and mercy, they'd rather see God strike them dead, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I get carried away sometimes. But, uh, you know, where is the love of God in our hearts? Where was the love of God in Jonah for these people? All right, all right, all right. So have you ever thought God, the creator of the universe, was wrong in the way he handled something in your life? Maybe you, you thought he was going to open doors for you on your job and you would get a promotion, but someone else got it instead. Someone else got promoted. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Thankfully, I haven't had that happen very often. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but you know, somebody else gets promoted. Somebody else made to look better than you. Somebody else thought of more than you. Somebody else spoken of better than you. And uh, it bothers you, you know. Um, wow. You know, we think, God, why? Why did you let them do that, that way? I deserve that promotion. All right. You were wounded because you got your hopes up, and everything seemed to be pointing in that direction. Everything seemed like you were going to get promoted, but then God let you down. Start playing the, sound, the sad music right here, right? Because we've all been there. We've all been there in one shape, one form, one way or another. We don't get chosen to sing the solo in the choir, you know? We don't get picked to speak at a special event, you know? We've been there. We've been there. We don't get 
to do a certain job that we wanted to do and we knew we were qualified for and that we were talented with or whatever it might be, and we didn't get picked. God let us down. We thought God handled it wrong. Wow. You know, even men of the Bible, men and women of the Bible, they felt this way. If I asked you who in the Bible, who in the Bible asked that everyone call her, her by the name Mara, which means bitter, who is she? Would you know who it was? If you said Naomi, give yourself 100 points. You see, she was disappointed with the way God was leading her life. Ruth 1 and 20 says this, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Now listen, I'm not trying to downplay misery in one's life, okay? Mm -mm, I'm not doing that at all. I'm not trying to say that uh, people aren't suffering, because people do. People do suffer, and, and bad things happen even to godly people. But to blame God? To say, God, you handled this in such a miserable way. I am so disappointed in you. I really, I trusted you. I depended on you. I thought you were better than this. I thought you loved me. Oh, I, I you know, that's, <laughs> but we're all guilty of possibly thinking that at one time or another, and uh, that's how Jonah felt like, God, you handled this in the wrong way. Uh, you have really messed this up. You missed a golden opportunity, God, a golden opportunity to wipe the Ninevites off the face of the earth, and if you did that, Israel would no longer be bothered by them. Yeah, wow. Bitter, Mara, or uh, Naomi says, that was her name, Mara, bitter. Bitter, that's a very descriptive word, isn't it? A lot of people are feeling that way these days. They lost jobs, lost family members, or a loss of hope. Bitter. They didn't care about the election. Uh, leading up to the election, they were bitter. All through the past four years, there were a lot of people that were bitter. Uh, yeah, a lot of bitterness. A lot of bitterness, and it sours after a while, my friends. It sours after a while if we continue to let it grow and fester in our lives. So what do we do if we're feeling this way right now? Well, we have two choices. Stay and wallow in it, or tell God, tell God exactly how you feel. Confessing, confession is good for the soul, okay? And when you do it, you do it respectfully, um, out of love and uh, a genuine see seeking uh, to know the heart of God, okay? Since Jonah thought this action by God was evil, he became angry. I have never thought it was very beneficial to be angry with God, because there is no way God is going to apologize because I think he's wrong. I can't imagine he'll come down tapping me on the shoulder and say, I, I, I blew it. I was wrong. Not one time, not one time has God ever came to me and apologized. Now listen to me. Listen very carefully. 
There is not one time God ever should ever have to apologize to anyone. Because God is perfect in all of his ways. He's just and true. He's righteous. You know, he does not make mistakes. He does not do anything worthy of his of him saying, I apologize. I blew it. I made a mistake. Um, I'm sorry. I let you down. You know, because he's God. I mean, he is supreme. He is infinite. And we're finite. Okay, so um, Jonah's angry with God because he wanted God to do to Nineveh what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 through 24. And, and uh, I just got through reading. I started reading in Genesis and I, I just read that a couple weeks ago, you know, uh, that God had sent. Actually, it was just a few days ago that God had sent his two angels in there to see if the evil in Sodom and Gomorrah was as bad as was, uh, you know, that was coming to his throne. And sure enough, it was. And God told um, Lot, Lot, get your family together. Get them out of here. I'm going to destroy this city. Lot got his wife, or yeah, his wife and his two daughters, his uh, son-in-laws. They weren't interested. They thought he was joking with them. And he God destroyed the city. And the, so this is what uh, Jonah thought that God should do to Nineveh. Why are we always wanting God to judge those who we don't like or who have done us wrong? Granted, we have plenty of company. The Pharisees were the same way. I mean, <laughs> yeah, listen, Matthew 9... Chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Wow, Jesus, that must have been wonderful, right? When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Wow, he sure looks at people different than we do, don't he? He sat with sinners. Did you catch that? The tax collectors were some of the most despised people that day because they were taking taxes from their own people for the Romans, and they were despised and hated. And hey, people still don't like tax collectors today, do they? But Jesus sat with them. And sinners? He sat with them. Sinners, harlots, he sat with them. Filth, filthy people, and, that, and I mean it in the spiritually speaking, sinful, filthy people, he sat with them because he loved them. He loved them. He wanted to, he came to show them just exactly who God is and what God is like. God is not these, these rules and regulations. God is not this uh, demanding being up in heaven ready to smite you with his male fist and beat you. And, you know, he wanted to show them that God wants to spend time with you. He really was li living 
up to his name, Emmanuel, God with us. God was with them. And the Pharisees had the same attitude Jonah had, had the same attitude we sometimes have about people, you know, why are why is he eating with these people? Why is he being friendly with these people? They're filthy, you know. Jesus didn't see him that way. He didn't see him that way. Matter of fact, what was it? There was a scripture said he saw him as sheep having no shepherd. All right. These Pharisees would rather see God judge the sinner than show mercy and compassion and forgive such a one of their sins. God had every right to judge me. I was a sinner. I didn't do anything worthy of mercy. I hurt others. I broke his commandments. I treated him with contempt. And guess what? I still don't get it right sometimes. And yet when I turn to him for mercy, he forgives. John 4, 2 says, or Jonah 4, 2, it says this. This is Jonah. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is why, or what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from uh, calamity. <laughs> the next part of the study, I want to call this God on trial. Okay, now I'm calling verse two God on trial because Jonah presents his reasoning for not wanting to go to Nineveh, then he presents the character of God. He prayed to the Lord. This is from Gill's exposition of the Bible. He prayed unto the Lord, but in a very different manner from his praying in the fish's belly. This was a very disorderly prayer, put up in the hurry of his spirit and in the heat of passion. Prayer should be fervent indeed, but not like that of a man in a fever. There should be warmth and ardor of affection in it, but it should be without wrath, as well as without doubting. This is called a prayer because Jonah thought it to be so and put it up to the Lord as one. It begins in the form of a prayer and it ends with the petition, though an unlawful one, and has nothing of true and right prayer in it. No celebration of the divine being and his perfections, no confession of sin or or petition for any blessing of providence or grace, but mere wrangling, but mere wrangling, contending and quarreling with God. What good was his prayer? A man who is angry at the mercy and pleasures of God does not need to expect his prayers to be answered. Think of it. A man who had caused 120,000 people and that's just that's just the, the little ones. That's just to become converted to God. And his will became angry because his ministry was fruitful. This shows only one thing, that Jonah was deeply patriotic and prejudiced and put this above the souls of men and the will of God. And that was from the date commentary. Listen, he did not like the Ninevites. He did not like it, like them. He wanted to see him destroyed. He wanted to see his enemies crushed, you know, and wiped off the face of the earth. Well, you know, because then they can't bother him, right? He says, isn't this what I said, Lord? I know I said that God isn't predictable, but there are some things about him that are. 
but that but that's because we're talking about his very nature and his character. One, God is love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Two, God is merciful, Psalm 119, 156. Three, God is patient, 2 Peter 3, 9. Four, God is kind, Psalm 145, 17. These are the very characters and nature. This is a very character and nature of God. He's all these things, love patient, merciful, kind, good, gracious, benevolent, you know, all these. And I'm glad he is. Jonah is saying, saying, God, I knew you would act this way. There was no doubt in my mind about it. They say the very definition of insanity is doing something the same way over and over, expecting different results. God is not going to change his nature his character, or his word, because we think he should. Jonah was saying this, okay, when I was still at home, he says, when I was still at home, this might, this must seem like a lifetime ago when he was at home. After all, that's what, that's when it all began. One day he's just living his life, spending time with his friends and family. The next, God interrupts his life with a mission. I want you to go to Nineveh. He probably had never traveled before, never traveled farther than the Dead Sea or out of the kingdom of Israel. And now God is calling him to go to Nineveh. Jonah is a long way from home, and he's basically telling God that he should have stayed there. Maybe you feel like where you are is not where you want to be, and you find yourself pining for home because it's familiar, comfortable, you have more control. Sometimes it's necessary for God to take us away from our comfort zone in order to teach us something more wonderful about himself. He says, that is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. He said, this is why I left. This is why I ran away. This is why when you called me to go to uh, Nineveh, I fled to Tarshish. This right here, because I saw that you were a compassionate God, a loving God, a merciful God, and I knew this about you, and I knew that you changed your mind from uh, from bringing disaster. All right. Um, the ESV, the ES, English Standard Verse, Version puts it this way. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. There was reason for what I did when I declined the message and fled away from your presence. He seems to justify that flight which God condemned in him by a miraculous punishment inflicted on him. Here he justifies his flight to Tarshish as if he had good reason for it and that it would have been better if he had not been stopped in his flight and had gone to Tarshish and not have gone to Nineveh. This is amazing after such severe corrections for his flight and after such success in Nineveh. Jonah has stated his side of the case. He gave his reasons, his justifications for why he was fleeing to Tarshish, and now he points to God. I knew. There are some things I know about God, but I will never know him completely. No one, human or otherwise, will ever know he is beyond comprehension. In other words, you will never completely know God. Okay? Never. You might, you know, hey, if I can't figure out my wife, okay, if I can't completely know my wife, 
how, how do I think I'm going to completely know God? All right. I just use my wife because she's a wonderful example. I mean, I told her one day that, uh, you know, just when I think I've got you figured out, you change. You show me a different side of yourself, you know, and, and it's it's good. I mean, nothing bad, you know, or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, I cannot completely figure out my wife. And uh, men, I'm sure you can step in line with me and also say the very same thing about your wives. So who are we to think we could completely figure out God? Okay. He said, I knew. I knew, Jonah says here. He might know it by God's dealing with so exorbitantly passionate a man as Jonah himself was, but he knew it from God's account of himself. Exodus 34 and 6 says this, or in many other scriptures, some things you you can't know till you or some things you can't know till you've experienced them for yourself. We can't know what a police officer feels like when he is in the line of duty and he has to use deadly force to stop a murderer until we've been there in his shoes. We don't know what that's like for an officer. You might not like police officers right now. You might think uh you know that they're bad and they're evil. Let me tell you, I'm very thankful we have police officers, and I'm pro-police, okay? I'm proud of our police force. I'm not saying every one of them are good and that they don't make mistakes and that some of them don't just blow, you know, blow it. I mean, and they do, okay? But I'm saying that I have no idea what they're feeling like when someone is charging after them with a weapon, whether it be a, a knife, whether it be a screwdriver, or whatever it might be coming at them, or they refuse to take their hands out of their pants. That police officer has no idea what's in that guy's uh, pockets. He has no idea what's there. So I, I don't know, you know, what it's like until I would be in his shoes. So there's some things we don't know, you know, until we experience them, okay? We can't know what it's like to lose a loved one to the grave until we experience it for, for ourselves, you will never know what God is like until you get to know him in a relationship with him and his dear son. And the only way to do that is through the cross. You know, some people think God would strike them dead if they entered a church. Some think that God doesn't love them or he won't forgive them of some sin. God is keep holding on to that one sin. God would not be interested in me, This they say. When in doubt, check the word out, Okay. In doubt, if you're ever in doubt of any of these things, check what the Bible says. Check it out. Five things here Jonah knew about God. One, that you are gracious, adjective, courteous, kind, pleasant, smiling, and gracious in defeat. In Christian belief, I am saved by God's gracious intervention on my behalf. Two, um, 13, second Kings rather, I'm sorry, not two, but second Kings Chapter 13, verse 23 says, But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. And he's talking about Israel. These things were often true even when Israel didn't deserve a blessing. God spared them as much as he could because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God still gives these blessings to the Jews in all lands. Otherwise, they would be destroyed. Okay, number two, and compassionate. Noun, sympathetic, pity, 
concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. The victim should be treated with compassion. All right, Matthew 9, 36 says this, when he saw the crowds, I mentioned this earlier, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 20, 32 says this through 34, Jesus stopped and called them, or yeah, called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Number three, Jonah's number, um, uh, pointing out number three about God, that God's slow to anger. Another character of God. God, you're slow to anger. Have you ever been around someone who is easily ticked off? They're not easy to be around because you never know what you may say will make them mad. You know, it's tough being around them, right? You you really have to be careful with them. Look at the patience of Christ. All the times the Pharisees and Sadducees taunted him and mocked him, all he would have had to do was speak one word, and they would have been dead. Instantly. You know, instantly. How patient he is with us. Even when we blow it, time after time, we reject him, and time, time again, Yet he is slow to anger. Number four, the character of God that Jonah's pointing out as God's on trial, abounding in love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Do you know this is the most uh, quoted verse in the whole Bible? The most well-known verse in the world is this one. God so loved the world. The world, everyone, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, everyone in the whole wide world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 4 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Okay, and Jonah's fifth um, indictment against God's character is this. You relent from calamity. You change your mind. Not to destroy people when they turn from their sin to righteousness. Applying this to Nineveh, Jonah concluded that it would not benefit Israel for Ninevites to repent and turn to God, for God was going to use them to punish Israel. So, Jonah, he, uh, he, he did not like how God handled Nineveh. He didn't like that God repented that God changed his mind about destroying them. So Jonah gets angry. Jonah has a fit. Jonah begins to say to God, God, I, I knew you would be like this. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And that's why I went to Tarshish. Well, we learn a lot, don't we? When we read the word of God, we learn a lot. And we can grow a lot if we read the Word of God. I hope what I've said tonight has been a blessing, and I hope you've been ministered to. May the Lord touch you and encourage you, and God bless you. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner, and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, 
Thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.